So, it's been a second. I know in the last episode, I said we would be discussing golf outside of the professional level next. But that's changed. Because on June 6th, the sport of professional golf shockingly changed. In a moment that won't soon be forgotten. Major news from the world of golf. The PGA and European tours have agreed to merge with Saudi-backed rival Live Golf. Now, this would appear to bring an end to the civil war of sorts that has erupted in the sport. I think the golf world, including the biggest names in the sport, were stunned. I don't think anybody saw this coming. So today, we discuss how this agreement between the PGA Tour and the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia came to be, the little details that we know about the deal, and the possible consequences for the sport of golf as a whole. I spoke with Michael Bamberger, a New York Times bestselling author who has written multiple books on golf. He also currently serves as a senior writer for the Fire Pit Collective. I'm Harry Kelly, and this is Not Your Grandpa's Golf. To start unpacking all of this, it's really important to note just how shocking and secret this deal was. I, I don't know anybody. If anybody that I know knew about it, they're not telling that to, to me. It would be the simplest uh, a way, to, way to say it. I had been talking to a USGA executive that morning about the U.S. Open and going to the Los Angeles Country Club and how excited we were about that. And it was like a vacation because for about 15 minutes of our conversation or probably longer than that, we were just talking about golf and the U.S. Open and what a good golf course it is and we know how great it'll be to see all the players in one place. And then, and then we hung up and then a couple of minutes later, the, the USGA executive called and said, did you hear the news? So then we were on the internet at the same time and I, and I read the press release and uh, I've never read a press release like that in my life. And my initial response, my initial emotional response was uh, confusion. I didn't, I didn't understand it, even though it was written in English and that is my native language. And I still don't understand it. And I don't know that anybody really could. I say that because I think there's more going on here than we could possibly know. And if an executive at the USGA, which is the organization that runs the US Open, didn't know anything about this, you can be certain that the players on the PGA Tour didn't know, and they were not happy. Mackenzie Hughes, nothing like finding out through Twitter that we're merging with a tour we'd, we said we'd never do that with. feel a little bit sort of... Uh... I'm not lied to, but that the, the tour has sort of changed its position kind of quickly, like and dropped it on us like that really fast. You know, it's hard to it's hard for me to not sit up here and feel somewhat like a sacrificial lamb. It's also brought up questions about how the PGA Tour's power structure works. The tour claims it is a player-run organization, yet the players had no say in this deal, nor knew it was even being negotiated to begin with. So for them not to know about what their own organization is doing tells you that it's weird for nobody to know. And then why would it be uh, so secretive? Things are secretive for a reason, even if you can't figure out what that reason is. Whatever the reasons for secrecy, the strategy worked. And now a framework agreement is in place between the PGA Tour and the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. But what does that deal actually entail? Well, firstly, it's extremely important that if one thing is taken away from this episode, 
It's that we still don't know the vast majority of how this agreement will actually work. It's quite clear from reports by journalists that this announcement was made with bare-bone details due to fears of leaks. But we do know some things. Firstly, in those initial audio clips at the beginning of the episode, you probably heard the PGA Tour and Live Golf are merging. It's very crucial to understand that this is not the case. The initial press release confusingly made it sound like that, but as more details have come out as the days have gone on, it's clear this is not a merger. What has happened is this. The PGA Tour and the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, or PIF as it's known, have combined their assets into a new for-profit entity. Now this new company will own Live Golf. However, the PGA Tour still remains as its own nonprofit organization and retains legal control over how its tournaments are run. Instead, the tour will contribute its commercial business side to this new company. Things like television rights deals, sponsorships, and any other profit-driven revenue sources. This company will be chaired by Yasser Al-Rumayan, the man I mentioned in a previous episode who runs the public investment fund and also controlled Live Golf. Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, will become the CEO of this company. And Yasser will get a board position on the PGA Tour and in this new company. But the PGA Tour will control the majority of this new board. So this is a lot. Yet there's one more big thing to know about this, and I'll let Monahan say it. And today, that tension goes away. The litigation is dropped. We're announcing to the world that on behalf of this game, we're coming together. So, there's probably a lot of questions running through your head. And to be honest, we have no answers. Part of the confusion around this announcement's timing is that it seems like neither side can give answers to some of the most pressing questions due to the agreement not being close to completion. Here are the things we just don't know from what I've explained. Legally speaking, how is the PGA Tour still going to be a nonprofit if it's making money from a for-profit company? Will television rights and sponsorships now be radically different because of this new company negotiating now? The Public Investment Fund is going to be putting the first huge investment into this new company. It appears they're prepared to put billions into it, and they have the first right of refusal to any other outside investments into the company. Yet the tour is claiming that they will still be independently run and have decision-making power. But won't the money have ultimate say? We just don't know. And there's another big question. Will there be a live tour in 24? Will there be a live tour beyond uh, 24? There appears to be a disconnect in the answer to that question between the two sides. Commissioner Monaghan has said he couldn't imagine a scenario of Liv running at the same time as the PGA Tour, and reportedly he will have ultimate say on whether it survives. Meanwhile, on Liv's side, Greg Norman, the CEO I mentioned in a previous episode, has told his employees that it's full speed ahead and Yasser has promised they will be safe. So clearly someone is lying or not being told correct information. But for now, it appears safe to say that most sources agree Liv's fate won't be decided until after its season ends in November. And then there's a major elephant in the room. This agreement could all come crashing down. Well, let's bear in mind the Department of Justice investigation is the Department of Justice investigation. It's separate and nobody can shut that down except for the Justice Department itself. While the lawsuits appear to be dead, the Justice Department continues to investigate the PGA Tour in its antitrust inquiry to see if they illegally engaged in monopolistic activities. 
And this agreement might have made things way worse for them. What are regulators, what are antitrust regulators going to make of this colossus? And remember, in the past, when competing leagues in a particular sport have attempted to merge, antitrust concerns were prevalent. Tim Wu, a Columbia law professor who served as President Biden's advisor in antitrust regulations, has expressed concerns publicly that the deal may be stopped by the Justice Department, who may sue in court to block this agreement. Commissioner Monaghan did himself no favors when he said to the media one advantage of the deal was to, quote, take a competitor off the board, unquote. It will be very important to keep an eye on that. So, that's a lot of questions with few answers. But as the days have gone on, we have learned one crucial thing. Why did this deal happen? Why did the two sides agree to this? Let's start with the Saudis, because they are pretty easy to explain. They're looking to look more modern. They're looking to diversify their income sources. They'd like to develop golf as a business. This is a business. But you can become partner of the PGA Tour, whether you're PIF or somebody else, and have suddenly, with one check, have extraordinary influence and coziness with all manner of leaders of corporate America, because corporate America is very much aligned with the PGA Tour. So now you've got access to to tournaments, to CEOs, to board members, and it's a very effective way to infiltrate yourself into American corporate culture. All of this, as part of their sports washing campaign, to cover up their human rights abuses and legitimize their place in the world. So that's crystal clear. But the part that has stunned the sporting world is on the PGA Tour side. Why such a severe 180? It's really important to understand what Commissioner Monaghan said less than a year ago. As it relates to the families of 9-11, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones. And so my heart goes out to them. And I would ask, you know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving, Have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? I will get to the 9-11 side of this later, but it's clear Monaghan has gone against these words. But why? A report from the Wall Street Journal has made that a bit clearer. The commissioner told PGA Tour employees that the tour's legal fees in the lawsuits, along with spending for designated events with higher prizes, was becoming unsustainable and the fighting needed to end for the financial side of the tour to not collapse. Now, this brings up many questions over why the tour didn't plan ahead better for this, whether this was truly the only option for money, and to be blunt, many reports say we may never know the answers. But it's also clear, according to the New York Times, that the PGA Tour wasn't liking that the lawsuits would involve its finances being looked over. So, to pause and recap, given the information overload this all is, and will continue to be, We've discussed the deal, the secrecy around it, why it happened, and the questions yet to be answered. But what are the different reactions to this deal? On the PGA Tour players' side, the response is obvious. Well, how, how could they feel anything other than betrayed? You know, they were told basically, don't go to live. If you do go to live, you're not coming back to the PGA Tour. So how could they not feel betrayed? And how could the response to betrayal be anything other than anger? 
While we don't know the process for the punishments required for live golfers to return, the idea that they can return at all has meant a very happy response from players on that side, who feel vindicated for their decisions. And on the general public side, the response has been less than ideal for golf. The Live is using players, quote, and the game of golf to sports wash the recent history of Saudi atrocities. And today, what Saudi atrocities? We don't know. I think this is one of the saddest days in the history of professional golf. Uh, I do believe that the governing bodies, the entities, the professional entities have sacrificed their principles for profit. Shame on the PGA Tour who lectured Phil Mickelson and Greg Norman and Brooks Kepka and all those golfers, Dustin Johnson, about their personal values. I don't know how else to say it. I think in the short term, this is turning people off from golf. I don't know anyone who's going to be more enthusiastic for golf because these millionaires and these billionaires are, uh, are having these high-level discussions. My instinctive feeling is nobody's going to be drawn to the great game of golf because of what's going on here. And the number one reason for the intense blowback is a combination of the Saudi sports washing and the betrayal to the 9-11 families. I discussed the Saudi connection to those people in the previous episode, and you heard Commissioner Monaghan's comments last year strongly backing them. Well, it's safe to say the 9-11 families and their supporters are outraged by this agreement. The organization 9-11 Families United released a statement that said in part, quote, Saudi operatives played a role in the 9-11 terrorist attacks, and now it's bankrolling all of professional golf. They are still responsible for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, and they are still responsible for the murder of nearly 3,000 people on September 11th. While Monaghan acknowledged he was a hypocrite for his comments, he stopped short of supporting the families against the Saudis and instead supported the deal. But again, as we sit here today, I'm confident uh, that we've done something that's in the best interest of our sport and ultimately in the best interest of PGA Tour members. So, after all this being said, the biggest question that needs to be answered and may not be resolved for months, if not years, is how does this affect the sport of golf? How will this be remembered? Will this hurt or help the game? For Michael Bamberger, the answer will be clear. I don't see how it could be a great moment for golf. I know people, I, I know I have friends who disagree with that. They think that that the influx of money into the professional game is ultimately going to be a way to help grow the game globally. And I'm in favor of growing the game globally because I've seen what golf has done for me in my own life. It's improved my, it's improved my life immeasurably. But... I think the big picture is that this makes golf look grubby and sort of all about the money and show me the money and guarantee contracts and just kind of makes golf look like uh, like everything else in the world right now. So um, personally, I uh, find it hard to see how this is going to be a real positive for golf period, really. This has been a wild week for golf, probably the wildest in the sports history. And I will definitely stay on this story in the coming months as this saga continues. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you to Michael Bamberger for speaking to me during this extremely busy time for golf media. I'm Harry Kelly. 
and I'll see you in the next episode.